Romans chapter 1. This morning I want to look first at a couple of things that Paul says about certain churches that he writes to. And here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 8 he says this, For God, for God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is, is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, I guess so. Rome was a pagan capital of the world along with Athens and Greece. They're some of the most pagan capitals of the world. There's, there's a church sitting right there in Caesar's backyard. And not just in his empire, but right in his own city where his own throne is, there's a church that's there. And he says, your faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world. And so we go to the end of this book. Chapter 16 and verse 19. It says in Romans 16, 19, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise of what is good and simple concerning evil. Now, isn't it amazing that we hear people today say, well, it's really hard to live the Christian life in, in the world we live in today. And I'm not saying that it isn't hard. But this is in Caesar's city. This is in such a corrupt and immoral place. This is a place where Christianity is actually outlawed. And he commended them for their faith and their obedience. They were able to live the Christian life in Caesar's, in Caesar's town. In a place of great corruption and evil. So we can't use any excuses that, well, if I lived out in the country... I would be different, or if I, you know, I would be more faithful if I was here or there. If it wasn't so bad and so temp, these temptations weren't so strong here and there. It was evil through and through in the city of Rome. It was a city, a decadent city, known for every kind of immorality and debauchery and everything else. So then, the next one I'm going to look at is in verse 25 of the same chapter. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now manifested, made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of everlasting God, 
for obedience to the faith. He uses the term obedience to the faith. It's something that was understood in those times. That faith was not something that you just kind of threw around. It was a way of life and it was something that you acted upon. He talked about obedience to the faith. Obeying Christ. This was a church that was known for obeying Christ in very difficult circumstances. And so into the next book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are rich in everything by him, in all speaking and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. <clears throat> in this he is talking about a church that the testimony of Jesus Christ is confirmed in them. He said, well, what does that mean? The testimony of Jesus being confirmed in them. It was clear that this was a group in another pagan city, Corinth, that was living a Christian testimony. Not just a talk testimony, and a speaking testimony. But in the way they lived. It was confirmed in their life. God confirmed that church. His testimony was confirmed in people. In brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Is the testimony of Jesus confirmed in us, in me, in all of us, in you, in each of us as individuals and as a group. Is the testimony that Jesus is alive and he is living in us and he walks with us and he talks with us, is that evident? Is there evidence of that? Is there a confirmation of that? And so, from there we go to Ephesians chapter 1. Notice these are all chapter 1s. Most of them anyway. In verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not make cease to make give thanks to you for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Where is Ephesus? If you remember in the book of Acts, Ephesus was where all the, the shrines to Diana 
the goddess of the Greeks was being made. And that great riot that broke out, and they try they try to get Paul and everything else, and for three hours they shouted, "Great is Diana the Ephesians and everything," and um, and so on. And so that whole amazing story, and yet in in that same place, not only was a church born there, but he talked about how the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus. And the love they had for each other, for all the saints. So go over a few books to Colossians chapter 1. In verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also is in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow minister who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Their faith and their love. Well spoken of that way. And... He's talked about since they heard the truth of the gospel, it began to bear fruit among them. And that's what Jesus talked about, us bearing fruit. And so this is the way it was in Christendom at that time. They weren't perfect, that's certainly sure. But there was certainly something that was a pattern in those churches. Their faith, their hope, and their love for each other. Their love for their neighbor, their outreach to those in darkness. It was very clear that that's where they were. And the excuse, we can't use the excuse was, well, things were different then. Things were not easy for them. <clears throat> this is not an easy life that they had. As we go to the next one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 2. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Faith, hope, and love, it's written right there. 
And though these three, three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. <clears throat> you notice how he talk. He says a couple things that are very interesting terms here. The first one he says is the work of faith. Faith is not just something where you sit on your hands. <clears throat> faith is an action word. He said your work of faith. And works in Christ are not dead works. They're works of faith. And then the next thing he says in your labor of love. Not just work, but the labor, not just labor, but labor of love. Not dead works, but works done in faith, hope, and love, serving the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we need, do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Let's try to understand something here about what happened here. This was a persecuted church. This was a suffering church in affliction and trouble and tribulation. They were suffering for being Christians. And they had plenty of their own troubles of their own. Their troubles of life that, on t besides that, besides being persecuted, they had the other stuff that we go through. And yet, in spite of all that, it says, they receive their word in much affliction and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's contradictory, isn't it? Affliction and joy? <coughs> not in the gospel, is it isn't. Not in, God, not in God's viewpoint, if we're wanting to know what his truth is saying. Even though they were afflicted, they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that's why when Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he knows what he's talking about. And so do these here in Thessalonica and other churches at that time. So before we think that these people had it better than we did, we better take a little, look a little closer. Look at what it's really saying. There's nothing new under the sun. Each of us has our individual challenges. But in spite of that, understand that whatever challenges we have, we can be overcomers like this. We can rejoice in our afflictions. And this was an example to all those, it says, in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They were an example. Something held up. They look at them. Look at what they're doing. Look at how they're standing firm. They're afflicted. They're persecuted. They're suffering all kinds of trials and tribulations. And yet look at them. They're, they live in a, in a pagan city. 
And they themselves were idol worshipers. They were worshiping the devil. Colossians, or Corinthians, Paul, one of them, Paul says, those who worship, I think it's in Corinthians, he says, those who worship idols are actually worshiping demons. These were, these were Satanists. These were devil worshipers. It says that they turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Christ delivered them from the devil. And now they were living for him. He says their faith went out into all those places. You know, when God is at work and God is moving, those, those things can get around. And God was responding to their faith. That's what really, that's what makes the word sound forth. The word of faith. And every place your faith whereas God is going out, that we don't need to say anything. Not that they were trusting God, but they were getting answers to their prayers. God was working with them. Confirming his word with signs following. That's how it's said at the end of the Gospel of Mark. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, again, verse 3. We are bound always to thank God for you, brothers, as it is fitting. Because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and troubles that you endure. Again, not a church living in comfort and luxury, but a suffering church. A church with many troubles. Many of them are troubles just like us. Plus, the troubles of being outlaws, of being persecuted for being Christian. And yet, in spite of that, you know, sometimes when we have trouble, we get snippy with each other. When things aren't going right, we tend to be a little bit, you know, shorter with our patience and our temper and everything else because we're under the pressure. But if you look at this here, when they're under pressure, their response to all that pressure is completely different. Their joy in the Holy Spirit. Their patience. Their faith. Grew. 
growing exceedingly. So here they are, going through the fire. And it says their faith is growing. But it doesn't say it's growing. It says it's growing exceedingly. Exceedingly means it exceeds what's expected. It goes beyond what you would expect. And there it is. Their faith is growing exceedingly. Now we could sit here and say, ah, come on, but you don't know what I'm going through here and everything else. This is a universal message. This is a a message that addresses life. This is God's word to us. And it addresses life. And it can address each one of us in our individual situations. Not just that church of 2,000 years ago. It means something for us today. It means that faith and love can grow in the midst of every trouble, in the midst of every tribulation, and it can grow exceedingly. And it says their love was abounding. When something is abounding, it's exploding. It's growing like crazy. Their faith was growing exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. And so they were boasting. He says, we and other churches were boasting of you. Of how, how great you're doing under severe circumstances. Look at you. Another example for us to look at. The churches of Christ. That went ahead of us from centuries past. So then we backtrack into the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 27... Same chapter. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. We have come to realize this thing. That this is a decision. That we make. If we let our heart be troubled. And afraid. It's a bad decision. We're making a bad decision. Because here it tells us, in the words Jesus tells us in his own words, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. That means that if we're in Christ, we have the ability to get control of that. 
Jesus wouldn't tell us to do something that was impossible in him. So if it's true, and it is true, then we have to deal with our our fears and our anxieties. When you think of something being troubled, you think of a boiled pot or something that's just in constant turmoil. Do you ever feel like that inside of you? I know I have. I know I've gotten that way plenty of times. But, you know, when we feel ourselves going that way, we take can take both feet and slam on the brakes. Say, no. It's like Dave was saying it this morning in his testimony. He, he was feeling so encouraged and then things went the, started going the wrong direction and he felt that thing coming on him. You know, to be discouraged, to be depressed, whatever, you know, to feel, feel down and out and anxious. He got a hold of himself. Got a hold of himself. We have to do that. That's part of living by faith. Is to get a hold of ourselves and take hold of our thoughts and bring them captive to obeying Christ. Jesus wants me to trust Him. He commands me to trust Him and I am going to. And that's what we do. And he says, I'm giving you peace. But the peace comes in believing. Peace I give to you, peace I leave with you. Say, so, well, inside of me right now, I don't feel any peace. The Apostle Paul, in the end of one of his letters, says, I think one of the Corinthian letters says, Now may the God of all hope, give you joy and peace in believing. In believing. In believing God. In believing His Word. In believing on Jesus. In believing in His love for us. In believing in His care. In believing in His promises. And standing on them. That's where the joy and peace comes from. And so He says, Let not our heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, You believe in God, believe in Me also. Belief, faith. And in that we can get out of that fear and, and we can get out of the troubled heart. We can get away from that. And we can lie down at night. The Bible says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He shall lie down his head at night and his sleep shall be sweet. Peace. A man who's at peace with God. You can't be at peace with God unless you're believing God. Unless you're walking by faith. And if we're walking by faith, that's how we are, is, are letting not our heart be troubled. That's how it happens. When he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, it's because we're believing him. That's how we do it. That's how we don't let our heart be troubled and afraid. By trusting Him. In verse 12, we skip down to verse 12 of John 14. And it says, Surely I say to you, he who believes in me, 
The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Who is he saying that to? Is this to anybody? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Hey, anybody out there? No. It's not. It says, to he who believes in me. That's who he's addressing. When you believe on him for the things that we're asking. We will ask anything in his name and he will do it. If we believe in him. Greater works than he did we will do. You know, I've been in Pentecostal churches where they use this to say, we're going to do more miracles than Jesus, so we're going to do more, all these flashy works that, that Jesus did, miraculous works. And maybe that's true in what Jesus said. But, you know, did you ever think about the other things that Jesus did? How about the work about how he laid down his life for us? How about that work? Do people think about that? Laying down our lives for others, if we believe in Him? How about getting self-control in our life the way Jesus did? How about being compassionate and merciful and all the things, the qualities and the character of Jesus and the work that He did based, coming from, from that standpoint? The motives of Jesus. That's not as flashy. It's not as exciting. But Jesus was talking about those things too. And we will bear good fruit. If we believe in him. When we say, Lord, help us to control our temper. If we believe in him. We'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll be victorious. And any things. And so this is to those who believe in him, not to those who don't believe in his word. He will not do anything they ask. There's no promise that they'll get what they ask for. The promise here is for those who believe in his word, who believe in him. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is as he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him or manifest myself to him. Verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, will come to him, 
and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In in First John, John John says, "This is how we know that we love God, our love for our brethren." That's his commandment, isn't it? That's what these churches followed, wasn't it? But why did they do all these things? Their love for Jesus. Why did they love Jesus? Because they were convinced of his love for them. He gave his life for them. He gave his life for us. And John writes, we, are, we know and are convinced of the love that God has for us. And this is why they responded this way. And so in the next chapter, in John 15, Jesus talks about him being the vine and us the branches. And he tells us to abide or to remain in him. And he says in verse 7 and 15... Chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, remain in me, and my words remain in you, you'll ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. There's that same promise again. Only, last time Jesus said it, he said it, if you believe in me, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done for you. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now he says... If you abide in me, and my words remain in you, you'll ask what you will and it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. The love that he had for us, he said, stay in that love. <clears throat> if you, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So now he takes it a step further and he says, remember he said, If you keep his commandments, you will remain in his love. And he says, if we remain in him, we'll ask what we will and be done for us. And it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There is something that's connected here. The Apostle Paul talks about it when he says, faith that works by love. 
It's hard to walk in faith for not walking in the love of God. It's all interconnected. There is a connection between loving each other and loving God, keeping God's commandments and loving God, and having faith in loving God and loving each other. Because there's plenty of false faith and false love and false hope in Christendom. And I think we've all experienced some of that in our own lives. That God has exposed us in different ways that, you know, there's a little bit of styrofoam over here. It's not real. It's fake. And we got to make some changes here in your life. And, pardon me? I said, and found inside of us. Yes, yeah, so I was referring to, yeah. 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 Not just on the receiving end. Yes. Yeah, that's what I yeah. On the receiving end and on the inside, that's what I was referring to on the inside. And yeah. That's what I meant when we experience it, God exposing us. And showing us that you know, there's things that he asked Peter. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes and that three times. And to the point where it annoyed Peter. But he was getting to the point. Because when he said, yeah, Lord, I, I love you, he says, well, feed my sheep. You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, love each other. If you love me, keep my commandments. He that has my commandments and keeps them, it is his, him that loves me. There is a false version of this where, and I have seen it in Christendom, where you, be, you become to believe that obeying God's commandments is love for God. And that sounds contradictory because that's exactly what it says here. But what I mean is that people will do that, but not because they love God. They do it out of duty, out of fear, out of fear of God's discipline and punishments and not blessing them. Their motives, our motives have to be challenged. Why am I obeying God? Is it just because I fear Him? Or is there more depth to it than that, than just fearing God? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's not all there is to it, though. There's a lot more depth to it than that. God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God. The Apostle Paul, one place, says, The motive of our instruction is love out of a pure heart. The goal, right? It's another version that says, The goal of our instruction is love out of a pure heart. And so, the Apostle Paul tells us to examine ourselves. What's really making us tick? What are our motives for what we're doing? In other words, where is our heart? Where's our heart at? Why do we do what we do? If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus isn't saying that... Uh, if we're doing obedience 
moral obedience to his word, that automatically concludes that we love him. Because we cannot really lay down, give, give the kind of love that Jesus has given us. Unless we love him in return. We can't give it if we don't have it. We can't give the love of Jesus if we don't have the love for Jesus. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 8, it says the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts. So if it's in our hearts, God's put it in our heart. If we've truly been converted, then he says, okay, well, let's walk in it. Walk in the love, respond to that love. We love him because it's a response, reason. Because he first loved us, gave himself for us. Can I comment on that? Please do. <clears throat> I just, you know, I mean, in in the last uh, few weeks, I know the Lord has brought some of this to bear on me personally. You know, to really examine what He means by love. Because, as you mentioned, there's so many different motives that our flesh drums up, including trying to be, in, you know, as subtly as it seems, sort of <laughs> trying to pay for our own salvation, you know, trying to obey God so that we, he, we can check off a list of things that he, he wants us to be and do so that we can get to heaven. Um, but, you know, the last thing that you said about how Christ loved us, you know, before we loved him, while we were yet his enemy. And I always love, there's a song that says that he looked past our sin and saw our need. And I think that that is such an amazingly good meditation about trying to find out in your own prayer closet what true love means. To be, he wants us to look past anything that is offensive to us about another person in order to be able to see their need. Not, not that they're doing it, maybe why are they doing it. What is causing them, their lack of relationship with God or their you know, past history that is blocking them from being able to see God. Or people in the world who don't know God at all, you know, if we allow ourselves to, to, you know, dwell in our fleshly mind, then we take offense. And when we take offense, the heart of love is absent. We don't want to do anything for that person. But when we look past and we see their need, we see that they're on their way to hell. We see that they are in trouble and that no one would want their worst enemy to go to hell. Then it starts to spawn the truth agape love within us. And then we are prone to allow Christ to work through us, you know, compel us to, to love that person in a true sense, which is to not want anything in return, to want to do something for them that is, is for their good. And that's what love is, you know, and that's what's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. So, you know, I think it was really a good, you know, good point, you know, that you just made to, to really meditate on more deeply for each of us. Because sometimes we fool ourselves into believing that we're being loving and our motives are 
strictly because we want something in return. And when you when when there's when there's when those motives are alive in the act, in the act of what you're calling love, it's not what God calls love. And it costs. I think that's the oh, yeah. last part. It costs. Are you down your life? Yeah. It's very costly.